Welcome back to another edition of The Alonzo Bed. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we are coming to you today, uh, a Wednesday, February 24th. And we are coming to you with our AL East preview. So we did the NL West for you last week. And we will be continuing to knock off one division a week until the season starts so that you guys are fully up to date on where these teams stand coming into the 2021 MLB season. And uh, basically who's going to win it all, you know, who's going to have a good season, who's going to have a bad season. Um, But before we get into that, what else do we have on the docket, Sam? Yeah, we have just a little bit of news in the MLB. We're going to talk about the, the regrettable news with Kevin Mather, the, the president of the Seattle Mariners having to step down for some, really disturbing and bananas comments he made at a, at a private event. We're going to talk about uh, the Mets uh, bolstering the rotation, signing Tywin Walker. And then we're going to introduce a special treat for you guys every week leading up to the season, which is before we get into our weekly division preview, Aaron, our resident fantasy baseball expert is just going to let you guys know sort of what's on his mind as far as preparing for his draft and the season this year. And it's, it's going to be a surprise to me each week, what he brings up. I sort of the, I'm going to represent the, the guy who knows about baseball, but not that much about fantasy baseball. So I'm going to pick Aaron's brain in case I want to get into fantasy baseball action this year. I know it's going to help me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited for this segment. I feel like I'm going to learn a lot. I hope so, and that's the point of it. And as I go through these, I'm just going to kind of touch on something every week. So, you know, it may be about draft strategy. It may be about roster construction, differences in different types of leagues. Um, it may be sleepers. It may be bust. whatever. I'm really – because I'm really getting into this right now, as I told you guys last week. So whatever I'm thinking about at that moment, I'm going to kind of bring to you guys – if there's something as a listener you're curious about, or you get ready for your draft and you are, you want to know about hit us up, let us know uh, the Alonzo at gmail.com on Twitter at the Alonzo bet. Uh, we'll be happy to cover them. But with that, Sam, let's jump right into MLB news because I want to start with this Kevin Mather story. So Kevin Mather, the president of the Seattle Mariners, um, a franchise that has had some tough hits, Uh, the last number of years have not been good for a while, but seem to be fostering a good young farm system, some good young players. Um, And it looks like they have a future. I don't know how bright it is compared to some other teams, but it looks like they have a future. Kevin Mather comes out and at a rotary club event in Bellevue, Washington Bellevue, by the way, is like the hoity toity uh, rich suburb of Seattle. Um, Full disclosure, it is basically the exact same place that I grew up in Arizona, but in Seattle. Um, So I may have particular uh, distaste for it, but also my girlfriend's from there. So there's a lot of interesting things going on here. But Kevin Mather goes up to Bellevue and he talks at some breakfast rotary club. So nothing, basically not an important place with no ramifications on his life. And he just spills his guts. He just says like a million things off the cuff, thinking that somehow nobody would find out what he said. And he ended up saying some really sketchy things about his own organization. Um, And most of it's centered around players in the organization. So uh, I'm just going to give a couple examples here. And if Sam, there's something else he said that you heard that really blew your mind. Let me know. But 
he took Hisashi Iwakuma, who's been a very good pitcher for them over the last like three, four seasons. Um, he complained about his ability to speak English and the fact that he walked around with an interpreter. Julio Rodriguez, who's their number one or two prospect, depending on how you rank him up with Kalenic. Um, he also made a shot at his English. He called him loud. Uh, just like a big personality. Just a lot of things that are, you know, none of it is totally um you know wrong or terrible to say about someone really but there's just no reason really that a president would say things like that that could make their organization feel uncomfortable he called kyle seager the organization's best player in 10 years overpaid he took a shot at mitch hanniger who's also one of their best chances of competing in the near future like what was going through mather's head sam I mean, I think he thought he was just talking to his rich country club friends and that no one would end up hearing this in public, but it's just, it's absolutely foolish. And like, especially the, the thing that rub, rubs you the wrong way the most is like, all right, he said out loud that major league clubs manipulate service time. Like everyone knew that. It's not like that was, that was some kept, best kept secret. You know, now it's out in the open that he said it and it's technically illegal, but like, I think that's that's something we'll talk about a bit more right after this. But I think the thing that rubbed people the wrong way the most and definitely rubbed me the wrong way the most is like criticizing Iwakuma and, and Julio Rodriguez's English. Like these people are coming over at a young age to like play baseball in a foreign country that they don't know. And it's really it's really hard to to learn another language. Like I'm sure most American players don't know Spanish. And does right, Kevin, like I guarantee both of yeah. their English is better than his Japanese or his Spanish. Yeah, exactly. Right? Does does Kevin Mather know another language? It's just like it's just like a very weird and ignorant thing to say. Like, and it's made to seem even more tone deaf in the setting that he said it. Uh, right. Which is just some like rich country club. Uh and yeah, like I, I read some story which is like Julio Rodriguez, who's like he's like 19 or like 20. Like it's not like he's a, he's a kid. He's and literally he, 19 years old and he's a stud. Like he yeah. is so good. And and he, I think he was like, he completed his first interview, like totally in English. And he was so proud of it that he, that he called his mom, I think. And I was reading it like, that's, that's a amazing heartwarming story about like right. a young baseball player. Who's trying to make it in a new country that he's not from, who is incredibly talented. And he also needs to put in the work to learn a new culture. It's like, you should be celebrating that, not disparaging him because he's 19 and doesn't know another language from the country he was born in. 100%. And now, like, on the back of all this, Jaron Kalenic, who, Sam, you're very familiar with, but if, for those of you who might not be, he's a, a top – he might be a top 10 prospect in baseball right now. Like, he is getting uh, – Are we a, sure about that? He might be. <laughs> I, I don't know for sure, but he's definitely up there. Um, and now he's coming out and he's saying, look, my service time's being manipulated. You heard Kevin Mather say it, and I I'm not okay with it. He's kind of finally taking a stand against something that a lot of guys have maybe touched the edges on or like vaguely expressed uh, dissatisfaction with. You can think about the Chris Bryant situation as a super obvious one. But he's saying, I have evidence right now that my service time is being manipulated. And when I shred double A this season and I'm not up, like I, that's, that's going to be a problem. Um, and frankly, he's correct. Uh, I get from a business standpoint, you shouldn't bring him up. But if you're trying to put the best team on the field, 
Kalenic should be up probably to start the season. He looks like he's ready. He, he's absolutely right. And the Mariners should not be allowed to get away with this. They should be punished. And I think the way to do this is to void the trade that actually negged them, Jared <laughs> Kalenic. So they have to take Robinson Cano back. The, you know, they get Edwin Diaz back. That's great for them. The Mets, you know, the Mets, I guess they got to take Kalenic and uh, Justin Dunn back. Uh, but yeah, I'm, yeah, I guess that's just what has to happen. Well, and Sam, this is actually rippling across baseball all the way back to uh, the great state that the Mets play in. Garrett Cole, who's a rep for the MLBPA, um, really had some strong words about what he called bad faith, um, you know, personnel management based on Kevin Mather's words. And who knows? This what started off is just crazy. And by the way, we should have mentioned Kevin Mather has now resigned. Uh, it took a couple of days, but they sacked him. Uh, well, he resigned, but I think it was it was one of those things. Um, this could actually end up being maybe a little bit bigger deal than we think right now, just because the players have been looking for a way to address this. And maybe this is an in. Um, I don't know. It's not the first time we've heard a manager basically say, yes, we're manipulating service time. But it is the first time. It feels different. It's the first time I've seen players move on it, at least since I've been watching. So we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on this. Yeah. And there's a new CBA coming up after the season, of course. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure this is something that's going to get addressed. Uh, like for, perhaps like the, the teams can trade away like a year or two of control in exchange for like expanded playoffs or something. I, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. Oh, but I it, hope not. Yeah. Um, so then the other piece of news before we jump into Aaron's fantasy segment is just that the Mets signed Tywin Walker to uh, it's effectively like a two year, $20 million contract. I think there's some options and buyouts involved for a third year that makes it like technically an eight and a half AAV. Uh, I, with respect to the collective bargaining tax, but I think it's being mostly reported as two years, 20. Uh, so I think, uh, do, do you have any thoughts on this move for the Mets, Aaron, before I give mine? I mean, I like Taiwan Walker. Um, we've talked about him a couple of times before, so I won't belabor the point. It's just weird to me that they wouldn't pay 111 for Garrett Cole, but they'd pay 220 for Taiwan Walker. So like you, you well, mean Kluber, right? Kluber. I'm, yeah. If they could have gotten Cole for 111. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean Corey Kluber. Um, like I, I don't mind it. I, I like them adding depth again. He's a guy who they're going to feel good, whether they use him for a couple innings out of the bullpen or they open with him or they throw him four as a, as a more traditional starter, whatever. But I, they had other options. So it seems like maybe they were waiting to try and get Real Mudo or something. And then um, they ended up having to settle for a lesser of, of a couple options on the market. That's my feeling on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there was also a degree to which it seemed like Kluber wanted to go to the Yankees. So I'm not sure uh, exact, but I'm not sure exactly what the offers on the table were. I mean, like, I, I agree with you. Like I'm not, super sold on Taiwan Walker like his 2.7 ERA last year was a bit of a like misnomer like his FIP was four and a half his ex-FIP was 4.8 I think his expected ERA with from like StatCast data was similar to those um 
And I think he gave up like six or seven unearned runs in one start. So the ERA seems much lower than it actually was in terms of a runs allowed sense. And, and here's the thing, like Taiwan Walker's not like, I'm never going to complain that the Mets have more starting pitching depth. Like I think, you know, in a vacuum, it's good that he was added to their organization. I think he'll probably be like the fourth or fifth starter to start the season. I'm not sure like once Syndergaard comes back that I'd actually rather Taiwan Walker be pitching than say like David Peterson or Joey Lucchese. Uh, right. But, you know, I think the, I, I don't think the Mets are going to operate based on the fact like, Oh, we're paying this guy 10 million this year. We have to start him. He's a guy who's like, has a great pedigree and who knows, like maybe he can, they can turn him into a relief face if he seems like extra, like an extra arm. But again, like the Mets have been in this situation so many times in the past where they have like very good starters, but then no depth where, so if someone comes down, they're mm-hmm. throwing like Corey Oswalt or something. And they're, I think they're trying very hard to not end up in that situation this year. And Taiwan Walker sort of achieves that. Yeah. And I think they've actually done a good job. Uh, if that's and, their goal, I think yeah. they've done a very good job. Um, so we'll keep an eye on the Mets as you guys well know, if you've ever listened to this show, um, but let's let's uh, take a couple minutes on fantasy here before we go into the ALE. So today, Sam, I wanted to do kind of something big to start us off. I want to talk about winning the top of the draft. So um, winning those first two rounds, really, that can and often do make or break your season. So what do I mean by that? While... Fantasy baseball, especially if you play daily, um, which I think honestly most leagues are, there are weekly leagues, but most of the time when I'm talking, I'll refer to daily. It's a lot of work and waiver wires are going to be an extremely high percentage of uh, what wins and loses you leagues. Um, You know, trades can matter, uh, all of those things. But at the end of the day, your starting position is your draft. So you're either going to start way behind everyone else in the middle of the pack, or you're going to start way ahead so that all you have to do for the rest of the season is not trip. And you obviously want to start as far ahead as possible. So with that in mind, um, I I am in the next couple of weeks going to talk about a couple different segments of the draft, but today it's about the top because frankly, if you don't hit on your first two picks, you need something special to happen. You are requiring winning the season to, uh, or you are hinging your win in the season on some type of excellent trade where you swindle somebody or some type of breakout or uh, waiver wire pickup that totally changes the season. Those things happen to maybe one team in a 14 team league a year sometimes two sometimes none but you cannot rely on that um, to win your division so what you need to do at the top is make sure you're getting value and really the best way to do this is to stay safe Um, if you have one of the first let's say six picks seven picks even Um, certainly one of the first five picks, it's pretty easy to do that right now. The top five guys going are Acuna, Betts, Tati, Soto, Trout. None of those guys should worry you. Trout's five? 
Trout's going five, yeah, because oh he doesn't God. he doesn't run anymore. And by the way, folks, that's the wrong place. Um, he should be going above Soto, uh, and he honestly still has a case at number one. He could just steal 15 bases again this year. Um, but anyway, if you have a top five pick, it's not hard in the first round, but then don't forget, you're playing in a 14-team league. You then have to be talking about picks 25, 26, 27, 28. You know, that's – that's getting kind of tough on the snake draft. So can I ask, can I ask a question there? Yeah. So, so how much are you thinking about like going pitcher versus position player in the first rounds? Cause it seems like a pitcher is a more risky proposition. Right? Absolutely. But you can't think about that because if we're talking the first 28 picks, just using something standard here, um, or the first round is just DeGrom Cole maybe Shane Bieber, depending on your league. And those guys, you maybe worry about Bieber a little bit, and we're going to talk about risk assessment here in a sec, but those guys generally are not something that you need to worry too much about uh, because if a fluke injury is going to hit you, it's going to hit you. You're not really drafting for injury, and those guys are not really injury prone, at least in past knowledge. Now on the back end is where you do start to think about, okay, maybe pitchers are more volatile because you could run into someone like Trevor Bauer, who we've spoken about a lot, Walker Bueller, Giolito, Nola, Scherzer. Um, when you start to get to those names, those are still elite, but now you have to get into risk assessment. So here's the big thing that you want to think about in these first two rounds. Obviously, if you can get two super reliable players, that should be your priority, but Oftentimes, that's just not the case, because in, in the first two rounds, especially the second round, you end up drafting um, for, you know, a little bit of upside. That's why guys like Bo Bichette uh, are going in this round here. But you want to think about the way your whole roster is, is going to go out. So you need a plan. You need to go in knowing there's only 28 possible players in these, you know, that I could get because you have your list of 28 players you want the most. And you have to say, I can get these combinations realistically, right? So if you have the 11th pick, you're not getting trapped. So just take that off the list. You want to go from all of the possible combinations and say, there's this level of risk and there's this level of reward in those. And so I need to balance that out in the rest of my draft. So you may think if I get one and two with super high ceiling, but a pretty low floor, my three and four better have higher floors or my three and five better have higher floors, depending on how you're drafting here. So let me just give you one example before we move on. I think this is a, um, a really good example, actually. Let's say you pick at the uh, seven here. Uh, and let's say the top six guys go out. So that's Acuna, Betts, Tatis Jr., Soto, Trout, and DeGrom. You're looking at Trey Turner, Garrett Cole, Christian Yelich. Let's take Trey Turner out for a second um, because he's an interesting player, but he, he's not helpful to this. So you have Cole, who you can think of as an absolute rock, somebody who is for sure going to lead your team in pitching. And you have Christian Yelich, who, oh my God, was he bad last season. But I'm not worried about him, though. Well, neither am I, but you have to admit that he was very bad last season. But, oh, my God, 2019, he would have been the best player in fantasy baseball. And he could easily do that again. And you have a lot of reasons to believe that he is. But you are stuck with one of those picks. And so then when you go to number two, and now you're looking at, like, oh, maybe I can get Xander Bogarts. Maybe I can get Anthony Rendon. Maybe I can get Bo Bichette. 
then you're looking at three players like that and you're like, all right, let's try to three guys playing the infield positions we need. Let's try to balance some of that volatility. Um, so maybe if you take Yelich, you don't want to take Bichette because that's just, that's a lot in the first two rounds to accept. Not that Bichette is bad. His floor is fairly high, but I feel like he just as a young player has a lot more of a chance than a guy like Anthony Rendon, who's just a professional, amazing hitter. To I, have I was a- actually just going to say that I'm, I'm surprised that Rendon is available in that tier of players. I, yeah, I, I, mean, I like I, him more than them. Yeah. I mean, if you can get Rendon at 23, you absolutely should. I actually think he should slot in like behind or in front of Machado at 17, but that's, that's not for this, this exercise here. Um, So yeah, when you look at that, you want to say, all right, well, I could just blitz all in with Bichette and Yelich, but you have to think about what happens if they both miss, or even if one misses, you know, if, if Yelich misses, but Bichette hits, how good is that really? Right. You would rather have, I think the chance of um, Yelich hitting and the absolute certainty that Anthony Rendon is going to tear it up or that Xander Bogarts is going to be a really solid shortstop for you. So um, that's kind of the advice here on the top. And uh, just a couple comments I want to make. I do not like drafting for steals. So at Alberto Mondesi at 27, please don't do that. Please do not draft at Alberto Mondesi above the likes of Alex Bregman, Corey Seager, Rafael Devers, and DJ LeMahieu. That doesn't make sense in that, fantasy. This relates to my rant yesterday. I'm sorry, last week. Like that hurts me to hear that that's something people are doing. Exactly. Like it's crazy. Don't do it. Um, by the way, I'm going off a of fantasy pros average draft position here is where we're getting these numbers. But, um, you know, I be smart here, folks, and do your research. Come into the draft with a plan and then execute those first two picks. That's what we're talking about here, those first two picks. Execute those in a way that is going to give you the most successful paths further down in the draft. The most options further down in the draft where you can really pick up some more studs, give yourself some high ceiling flexibility, and also keep bringing that floor up higher and higher as high as you can. So that's my two cents today. Well, well, there you are, folks. Some very valuable advice from uh, just a fantasy maestro and Aaron, the kids up there in the top of his fantasy league every year. If you take some of this advice, you're play, let's say you're playing in a 50, $100 buy-in league, you win your league because of this advice. Just know the Alonzo bet charges 2% royalties on all your winnings. Uh, we can <laughs> So if you win... Just send us a tweet. We'll give you our Venmos. Uh, sort of view it as like a Patreon contribution. That's great, Sam. Thank, thank, thank you for that plug. Um, but, I, you know, we've talked enough about fantasy. Let's talk about reality. Let's talk about the American League East, a league that is geographically near and dear to us, and one that, oh, my God, could this be super exciting this year? Um, you know, before we came in, I thought, oh, Yankees are definitely walking away. But when I started to get to the nitty gritty and really try to rank these teams, top four all have some arguments against each other. Yeah. So, I, you know, my guess is that we're going to have the same exact ranking one through five. We'll see. Let me tell you okay. mine and tell me if you're the same. So I've got Yankees followed by the Blue Jays, followed by the defending AL champions, Tampa Bay Rays, followed by the Boston Red Sox, followed by 
the Baltimore Orioles. I have no no doubt that you have the Baltimore Orioles at five. I do have the Baltimore Orioles at five. I have the Yankees at one. Um, but actually, I have the Rays and Jays flipped. And ah. I I started in your way, Sam. But when I looked closer, we'll talk about them in a sec. But that Rays team just looked like what the Rays do. It looks like they maximize their Rayiness. And um, I don't know. The Jays, the Jays have some holes. So let's get into these team by team. And let's start with the cream of the crop here, Sam. The Yankees, um, you know, I said that the top four teams have a shot and have some knocks on the other teams, and that's true. But the Yankees are, the, are, are really the kings here. Uh, what do you like from them? Yeah, I mean, it, the strengths has got – it's gotta be the lineup. I mean, talking about, you know, judge Glaber Torres, DJ LeMahieu, Luke Voigt, uh, Clint Frazier, I think could have like a real breakout this year. Hopefully I think he's going to be an everyday player, which basically yeah. means he's going to break out. Cause he's really good. Hopefully we see John Carlos Stanton finally able to play a full season because like when that dude's healthy, he's one of the 10 best hitters in baseball. Uh, Aaron Hicks, I think one of the more underrated guy- players in baseball when he's healthy, he's an absolute mm-hmm. stud. Uh, if we're talking about where possible holes in their lineup are, I think it's catcher and third base. Uh, Gary Sanchez coming off an absolutely horrific season uh, and also not a good defensive catcher, but again, a guy who, you know, you're constantly waiting for him to like put it all together for one season. Mm -hmm. And then he could be the best offensive catcher in baseball. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, And then Gio Urshela, a guy who I, you know, continues to like be a productive player at, at third base. I'm still always like not totally sold on him. Like, and again, it's not like, it's not like having Gio Urshela as your third baseman is a problem. But I'm just saying if, if you're pointing to a right, weakness Right, because he's like their team, nine hitter, basically. Yeah. If you're pointing to a weakness on that team, I think it's him. Uh, and, and again, a guy who his reputation has been as like a glove first guy, fielding metrics have never really liked him. And he's actually mm-hmm. turned into more of a bat first guy. Uh, so, I mean, their lineup is, is all world and their bullpen also could be the best bullpen in baseball. So, I mean, that, that's where the strength is. Yeah, so I had my strength, um, honestly, as the lineup as well. Um, but it was tough for me between the lineup and the bullpen. I mean, they're just both so good. They're both and I so lo- stacked. I love that Justin Wilson ad for them. Justin yes. Wilson's really good. Yeah, I, I mean, their bullpen is just top to bottom, very, very good pitchers. Um, you know, we talk about the Yankees lineup. And we forget that like their bench bats this year are going to be Brett Gardner, Jay Bruce Robinson. Chirinos is a backup catcher, which is with, with Kyle Higashioka. Yeah. And... What, what do you mean? Robinson Trinos is the backup sorry, catcher. Sorry. Kyle Higashioka is the backup catcher. Um, Tyler Wade, Mike Ford and Miguel on Duhar all to back up in, in the infield. Although I don't expect much of on Duhar. It's pretty good. And, and Talkman. And Talkman. Could, could, who... could play some. I don't know if he's going to be on the opening day roster. If I had to pick a weakness, Sam, I actually was surprised to see how thin their rotation is. So obviously Cole is all world. He's amazing. Um, Tyone has a lot of promise. Uh, But after that, you start to go, who's 
going to throw these innings for the Yankees. And, and before I go into this, I'll say it helps that their bullpen is stacked. But Corey Kluber is either going to be useful or not. Like, I know that's not helpful to anybody, but there is a very significant chance that he's just not really that useful to them this season. You're certainly um, not penciling him in. Like, like that's, yeah. that's where the question marks are. And again, like we said this with the Dodgers, we said this with the Padres, like what's a weakness for a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers, or the Padres could be a strength for another team, but right. But I mean, most but other I actually teams think, in this, all other teams in this division would be thrilled to have Corey yeah. Kluber throw. But, but, I, but I actually do think the Yankees starting rotation might be more of a weakness than anything we identified on the Dodgers or Padres. Uh, true for the Dodgers, I think. I don't know about the Padres, um, but but yeah, I think you make a great point, Sam. This is this is concerning because Kluber they haven't pegged for 155 innings. I think that's that's really bold. If they get that out of him, they're fine. But if they don't, well, then how many do you need out of Jordan Montgomery, out of Debbie Garcia? Are they going to throw Domingo Herman this year with the whole sexual assault thing? They have Julia Shasin, who they apparently think will get some innings, but this is. This is really well, dicey with well, Sevy not coming back till like July, I think. Yeah, and that's the big wild card because if you know if Severino comes back and he's his his good self, like you know at the end of the day, like I don't think they're gonna have trouble that much trouble winning this division. Definitely not getting a wild card. So it's like if they can have a good top three to throw in the playoffs with that bullpen, like it's a little less of a worry. So like, yeah, if Severino can come back good and healthy then i'm then that's that's a big weight off of the yankees back but actually because because of this bullpen these this rotation questions and we're talking about both the health of it and and the depth of it my player to watch on the yankees is is davy garcia um mm-hmm. because because davy garcia is i mean he's you know the second maybe third best prospect in the yankee system he came up last year had six starts wasn't Greg and them had a close to a five ERA, uh, but his FIP was more like four X FIP was like four and a half. Uh, but it was, you know, it was his first taste of the majors. He struck out like over 10 baggers per nine, like his entire minor league career. And like, we see like little stints where he's striking out like 13, 14 baggers per nine. So in the minors, he's always been striking out the world and he's actually like had kind of bad walk numbers especially in 2019, but last, but in the, in his brief stint in the majors, he was very good in terms of only walking one and a half baggers per nine. Uh, If we're talking about his stuff, the fastball doesn't have great uh, velocity or spin, but it sort of has always played up from like the pure stuff uh, in the minors. And, and also even in the majors last year, it sort of played pretty well. Uh, I think the curveball is considered his best pitch. The changeups considered a nice plus pitch, and yeah, I mean, I again, he's not a really hard thrower, but he's a guy who's had a lot of success in striking out the world in the minors. And if he can come up and be a productive starter for the for the Yankees this year, that's that's a big big win for them. Absolutely, but I, I'll just say really quick that I have a lot of questions about Debbie Garcia. Like the Arsenal's definitely there. But his numbers, besides K's, we know that he can strike guys out. Can he keep guys off base and subsequently prevent runs? That's been very unclear, even through his minor league career. And he does have a ton of innings under his belt. But his performance, I guess his ex-FIP has always been extremely good in the minors. But his ERA has jumped a bit. His FIP has jumped a bit. 
Um, and never anything too bad besides for a 2019 40 inning stint in AAA. But, um, you know, the, the walks have been there. Um, I have questions about him, but he's a great guy to watch Sam because he's a great talent and I hope we get to see him. My guy to watch, I actually had two. One is Corey Kluber. We already talked about him a little bit, so I, I'm kind of going to let him go. But again, just point out that I really think a lot of their rotational strength hinges on him this season. Um, but I want to talk about Clint Frazier because I have been a Clint Frazier stand for so long. And I hate the Yankees, but I have always been such a big believer in Clint Frazier um, as just a guy who was ready to produce at the major league level in like 2016. Um, and they've just continually found reasons to keep him out of the lineup, giving more and more at bats to Gardy, um, you know, and who Gardy produced, but at the same time, um, Frazier was in the minor leagues with 140, 170, 164 WRC pluses. He came up last year and in 39 games had a 149 WRC plus. It's a guy who walks at an unbelievably good clip. He's also Kane quite a bit. Deceptively defensive metrics like him, even though he looks like a fool sometimes in the outfield. Um, he's athletic. He knows how to hit the ball hard. He's literally got everything you need to be a good player. And he's playing in a binky box in Yankee stadium for a team that's going to score infinity runs. Um, I, I am very excited to see what Clint Frazier can do with a full season this year. Yeah, I think that's a good one. And you know, if, if he can turn into like an all-star level player, then that lineup becomes even more fearsome and it's, it's totally a possibility. Absolutely. Um, so, so that's the Yankees. I think we both see them as sort of the clear best team in the division. And then we actually have some disagreement over, over the Blue Jays and the Rays. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Um, let's start with the Rays because they're the defending champs. So I think they've deserved it, basically. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, and here's what kind of threw me over the edge, right? So, like, the Rays lineup is in my opinion, better than it was last year already. Right. So they're getting a full season out of Randy Rosarena, who definitely has question marks around him. I'm not pretending like 70 games is enough to make me believe that he's, you know, the savior of baseball, but they're getting Meadows back. And I do really believe that last year was a fluke for Meadows who never fully recovered from COVID. It looked like, um, you know, they're getting a lot of experience on some of their younger guys. And at some point, they're going to get Wander Franco up, who, spoiler alert, is my player to watch, and we'll talk about it in a second. He's also my player to watch. <laughs> okay, which makes this lineup crazy scary. Now, and that's my strength for them, is young talent, actually. It's like the Rays and how they manage young talent. Um, but if I had to pick a weakness here, and what's scary to me a little bit is, boy, some of their pitching is pretty, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like, Diego Castilla, Nick Anderson, Peter Fairbanks at the back end of the, of the bullpen could be really good, or they could not be. Behind glass now, Yarborough, Archer, Michael Walk, and Rich Hill could be used effectively, or they could need innings from them, and they can't use them like the Rays want to. So, like, there's definitely some question marks in the bullpen, both at the front and back ends. But um, for me, when my concern is – how pitchers are going to be used and if you'll be able to get value out of guys who, you know, don't seem like they're going to be able to provide it. I give the Rays the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I sort of had the opposite take on their strengths and weaknesses. And like, 
Yeah, I guess I agree on the on its face, the rotation, the the pitching doesn't seem necessarily like a strength based on the names. Like outside of Glass now, there's like no surefire guy in in the starting rotation. Uh, and and the bullpen, like Nick Anderson and Diego Castillo, are definitely both like studs. And I'd argue like Peter Fairbanks has sort of like earned the right to be called close to a stud after after his performance sure. last but year. But Sam, don't pretend like any of those three guys are an absolute sure thing this year. Like you know how volatile relievers are. Sure, but I mean as as far as any really as far as any bullpen goes, like I think it's it's up there with 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 the best. And again, like you know, like you said, with the Rays, I'm always going to give them the benefit of the doubt that like, they're going to use the pitching optimally and it's going to, it's going to be good. Like they're going to figure out a way to use the talent that they have on the pitching staff to be good pitching wise. And like Rich Hill, Colin McHugh, like these are like as razy as signings get mm-hmm. like these, these high spin rate breaking ball pitchers that can just like, be really good in short stints. I mean, like, I think they're going to, those are perfect guys for the Rays. Uh, And, you know, I actually think, you know, maybe the, so the pitching I still think is their strength, even though like Charlie Morgan's gone, Blake Snell's gone. Like the starting rotation is worse than it was last year, but it was, it was their massive strength last year. Like, I still think it's the strength of this ball club. And that speaks to the fact that like, again, I, I still think this lineup is is a weakness. Like there are a lot of good players in the line. Like Brandon Lau is good. Randy Rosarena could be great, but as of now, I'm not gonna say he's more than good. And then like after that, like Willie Adamas is like, do they have anyone that's even like yeah, and I guess I'll give you all of those. He was really bad good. last year. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, I, I understand. He was bad last year. Uh, Met, but yeah, like Meadows is still a question mark for me. Like Willie Adamas is okay. Like Kiermaier is still a great fielder, but like if that drops at all, like the bat's hardly playable. Uh, and again, like the Rays always piece it together. And like, would I be surprised if they win 90 games in the wild card? No, but like this lineup on paper is not a good lineup. Uh, well, I'll tell and, you right now that I have both wild cards coming out of this division. Interesting, interesting. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely possible. Uh, it's definitely the best division in the AL. Uh, but I mean, I'd be surprised if if neither the White Sox or Twins got a wild card out of the Central. But we can save that discussion for another day. We uh, will. But 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 let's let's talk about both of our players to watch, and that and that's Wander Franco and. You know, Wander Franco, for those of you who, I mean, I, I think if you're if you're at all a serious baseball fan, you've heard the name Wander Franco. He is the number one prospect in baseball. Uh, he's maybe the best prospect that baseball has had since Mike Trout. Uh, he's a, a shortstop mm-hmm. who can hit for average, hit for power, great fielder, basically doesn't miss the ball when he swings. Uh, I mean, he's just there are basically no holes. He's in- a left-handed hitting shortstop with um with amazing glove work, power, walks, hits, home runs. He's Doesn't got it all. Out. And, and, He's you a know, five-tool like, player. It's yeah. I mean, uh, Fangraphs uh, since they've started rating prospects, he's the first prospect they've ever given an eighty future value. 
Uh, yeah. But, you know, of course, we've talked about service time manipulation. And if the Rays are sort of out of it, like if they don't have a good first half of the season, I could see it's possible Wander Franco doesn't even play in the majors this year. Like who knows? Yeah, no, but, that's true. That's true. But, but if he does play in the majors, I'm not like, he's still barely tw- like, I'm not even sure if he's turned 20 yet. I think he's like 19. I think he's 19. Yeah. 19, but turning 20 soon. So like, I'm not saying he's going to come into the majors and immediately be an MVP, but like the second he steps foot in the majors, everyone's going to be watching this guy. Mm-hmm. You should be, keeping your eyes glued to the screen when he plays. Cause it's like, we have a chance to watch the next Mike Trout possibly. I mean, that's a lot to put on a guy, but no one's, no one's had, no one's had this amount of hype coming into the league since like Travis mm-hmm. Harper, I'd say. And if you're a, a card collector, see if, see if you can find that, uh, that rookie card. I mean, not yeah. if you have to pay for it, that thing is through well, the no, roof yeah, right just, now. Yeah. Um, if you can crack it, good for you. Go retire. Yeah. Um, um, that's That was a great cover, Sam. I'm super excited about Wander Franco. Um, he is just, ooh, he is going to be good. But let's talk about the Blue Jays. So why did you feel like the Blue Jays uh, were a safer bet to finish number two in this division than the Rays? I think their lineup's awesome. Uh, I mean, I, Hard to argue I, with. Uh, I mean, we're talking about, I think they have – four to five, maybe six guys who could be better hitters than anyone in, in the Rays lineup, Bo Bichette, George Springer. I think the Vladdy breakout is coming. He just like, like, like Vladdy. I mean, okay. He's at first base now. So the bat really needs to break out, but he's still what? Like only 23. Yeah. He's, he's definitely young and the tools are definitely, and he still hits, you know, he has, he has more like balls hit over 115 than anyone else in baseball. He hits the absolute smokes out of the ball. He just needs to put a little loft in his swing, put the ball in the and, air and it's going to be, and, and I will note that like zips sees a break, like zip sees a breakout coming. They, they have him like 125 WRC plus or something. Yeah, they like him this year. Um, so oft, often you can sort of see these things starting to come. I think Bichette's a verified, like, on the cusp of superstardom. Uh, Springer, of course, just pencil him in. He's great. Uh, Semyon, uh, we talked about him when he signed with the Blue Jays. If he's anything like his 2019 self, that's incredible for the Blue Jays. But even if he's 80% of that, that's a that's a great second base, baseman. Uh Kevin Biggio is pretty good. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is really good. And then my player to watch uh, is Teoscar Hernandez. I mean, almost nobody in the league hits the ball as hard as this guy. 98th in exit velocity percentile, 96th in hard hit percentage. Last year was 94th percentile in expected WOBA. Uh, he... He, he strikes out a lot and he doesn't walk all that. He much. strikes out way too much and he doesn't walk at all. I actually have been looking a lot into Teoscar Hernandez. I'm glad you brought him up. He certainly hits the snot out of the ball. There's really no yeah. question about that, but frankly, he has for the rest of his career. Last year was maybe like to the extreme, like he was hot, but for his whole career, he's had a very high exit velocity. He's had a very high barrel percentage. His problem is he K's, all of the time and he walks never 
He misses pitches in the zone. I think last year he might have done it more than any batter in baseball. No, no, no. He was eighth percentile. But he whiffs at pitches in the zone. He take he swings at too many pitches out of the zone. Teoscar Hernandez could be a stud this year. He could be absolutely beastly. But honestly, I think that last year's performance is kind of a mirage because you go and you think, maybe I did see a new skill set. Maybe I did see him break out and suddenly he's hitting the ball so hard. But I actually just think we saw a hot streak. We saw a streak of him doing what he's always done in his career at a, at his best clip. So, you know, he could keep it up. But I actually, if you're asking me who I would rather play every day, and by the way, notice that you named like a lot of outfielders and middle infielders. Like there's a log jam and not all these guys can play every day. Um I would rather have Lourdes Gurriel Jr. playing every day than Teoscar Hernandez. Yeah, I mean, that's that's totally fair. And and I think Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is also a, a nice young player. That just speaks to, like, how much young hitting talent this team has. Now, it's true. I think you can fairly point to the fact that their pitching is maybe a bit more of a question mark. But then again, like, okay, like Ryu was – maybe better than any was probably better than anyone on the race last year. Like he was probably the, what the, the second or third best pitcher, maybe third best pitcher in the AL last year. Probably. He was quite good last year. No one's questioning uh, that. After that, there's a lot of question marks. I know you've had a, a love hate relationship for many years with Robbie Ray. Uh, I've had a love hate relationship for many years with Steven Matz. Uh, and there their pitching, Sam, is just I, – I, I really think you're sugarcoating this. Their pitching is terrifying. Could it be good enough? Yes, it could. It requires Robbie Ray throwing good innings. Tanner Roark, you know what you're going to get out of him. You're going to get 140 innings of close to five ERA baseball. That's what he's known for. He, he has <laughs> cemented his position in baseball with that. Steven Matz, I'm penciling in for zero innings, basically. No, I think they have this all no. wrong. Um, Ross Stripling is the one who should be getting the innings because Ross Stripling is honest to God, their second to best pitcher in this no, rotation. I, mean, I was going to say that I actually, Ross Stripling is a guy who basically every time he got a shot with the Dodgers through quality innings and was just always a, a victim of the fact that the Dodgers have, you know, nine good starters. Right. But he's, but he's, he's really good. good if he's healthy. Yeah. But uh, let me tell you something, Sam, the success of this rotation hinges around my player to watch. And that's Nate Pearson. That's a Nate Pearson, a young 24 and a half year old, uh, just came up last year. And, and you know what? He struggled in 18 innings to the tune of a six ERA, but that's 18 innings. I don't care. This guy has extremely good stuff. He's got good ride and a hard fastball that he throws in a couple of different ways. He's got a slider that breaks correctly off of that pitch. He tunnels with both the changeup and the curveball moving in different directions off of those two pitches. And he he's good but he's he's very good i'm sorry like i I don't want to understate that he's one of their best pitching prospects he was their number one prospect before being brought up um he was the 10th overall prospect uh before he got brought up he's well heralded he's very good but it's his second year in the majors and his first real year in the majors, he only had 18 innings last season. He's got less than 115 innings under his belt for his whole career. 
I worry about how a guy like this, who has good but not great stuff, and who is a good pitcher, I, I worry about how quickly they acclimate to the MLB because pitching to minor league pitchers, pitching to college hitters, I'm sorry, um, is very different from pitching in the major leagues. And I believe Nate Pearson will have a very productive career. I believe his floor is a solid three for years to come. Like he's good. I'm not sure that this is the year he even realizes that floor. Um, I hope it is because it'll make the Blue Jays awesome. But if it's not, their rotation's way too thin, uh, I think, to compete seriously. I, I will say with Nate Pearson, the fastball slider combo, it could be like DeGromian in like- It is, yeah. yeah. It, it definitely has, like he'll hit 100 every once in a while. Um, and he'll go low nineties on that slider. Like it's pretty devastating. And then he'll throw that little change up in um, which he's been throwing more and more and improving. So like, no, I mean, again, I, no I, question I, about I, his stuff. I shouldn't use the Lord's name in vain, but. Uh, and, but and if Sp- Nick Pearson's mother or father is listening to this episode, yeah. I want you to know how meaningful that endorsement yeah. from Sam was. And, and speaking of, you know, if you're not following Met spring training, Twitter, DeGrom just sort of, you know, moseying onto the mound for his first bullpen of, of the, of the offs of spring training. It was just casually hitting 99. He, he, he might just, he might just sit one one this year. I, I don't even know. He just might. We don't know yeah. yet though. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so I think, you know, where's our disagreement between the Rays and Blue Jays. I, I think maybe you're putting a little more stock in just the Rays organizational ability to, get shit done basically. Uh, and I think that's totally fair. I, I think it, I think it makes sense, but I just think, I think on paper, the blue Jays are, are the better team. And I think the main difference is that the, the lineup I think is much better. Yeah. And again, I think that's fair. I think they're going to be really close. Honestly, at the end of the year, I, I expect two to maximum four wins to separate these two teams. Like it's going to be tight. Um, and it's going to be fun to watch. The team who, to me, is a little bit on the outside looking in this season, but definitely isn't out of it. I used to think that they were in deep, deep trouble, but looking a little closer, I don't think they are. Um, They're in a little bit of trouble, but I don't think it's as deep as I once did, is the Boston Red Sox. And for me, I look at the Red Sox and I say, honestly, they've got a lot of good players on this team. Like, Yes, they don't really have any like superstars anymore without Mookie Betts, but their lineup is still well filled out with a lot of depth. Um, and Chris when, Sale, you know, when he's healthy, is he is a superstar? I don't know. Absolutely, I don't know. If, I don't know if that version of Chris Sale will ever appear again. But we certainly hope he does. But we but, don't know. But if he does, like when Chris Sale is on his game, he is. I mean, you could say he's the best pitcher in baseball. Exactly. That's that's not crazy to say. And Sam, like you actually just pinpointed my weaknesses, which is their, their entire pitching staff might as well just be a bunch of question marks because what are we going to get out of anybody? We don't know what we're going to get out of the, we know the innings will be limited, but we don't know the quality from Chris sale this year. Garrett Richards is like the definition of a walking question mark. Eduardo Rodriguez is a huge question mark. Nathan Eovoldi is a huge question mark. And then you go into their bullpen where every single pitcher besides Adam Adovino is a question mark. I think Matt but, Barnes is, is pretty good. Yeah. I guess Matt Barnes and Matt Andres are a little more than a question mark, but 
the point here is just that there is the talent, there is the skill in this pitching ensemble, both starting and bullpen, to win a wild card spot. I believe that they could, but there's so many question marks. So many things would have to break the right way. I don't think it is going to be a realistic option for them this year. You, you know who I've always just had a soft spot for. I don't know if it's rational, irrational, whatever. Like I, I just always think like Nick Pavetta is pretty good. I, I couldn't even tell you like, his, <laughs> I, I couldn't even tell you his career numbers or anything about them. Oh I just feel like God. every time, the Mets faced Nick Pavetta. I, I couldn't even tell you that he pitched well against the Mets, but I'm just like, when I was watching Nick Pavetta face the Mets, I'm like, this guy, this guy just feels like he's kind of good. <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny you say that, Sam, because Nick Pavetta is a guy who I streamed a lot in uh, 2018. And he was like, 2018, really the only season he's ever thrown a full season. He was like good for six innings, no run ball, like nine Ks or he was going to get blown up for eight runs in four innings. And that's basically his profile. And he's never been able to shake it. And I think that's why we don't even see the socks with as haggard uh, rotation as they have really looking at giving him an honest chance there. What I do think Nick Pavetta has the chance to do realistically, I don't think the socks, the organization that could do it, but he could have a drew Pomeranz type resurgence where, because he really is fastball slider. Right. And like he could come out and those two pitches, he could gain three miles an hour on his fastball, get two extra inches of lateral break on a slider and be a wipeout eighth inning guy. Like, yeah, I that, think that's a, it's yeah, possible. That's, that's interesting. I, who knows? Maybe that even happens this year. If, if they don't see a place for him in the starting rotation and you've already mentioned the bullpen's not so deep. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, like I think the pitching's a big question mark. There are a lot of good spots in the lineup. Like Bogarts is a stud. Devers was bad to start the season, but like by the end of the year, he was his normal self. Like I, I won't, I won't tolerate Devers slander. Devers is the best hitter in this lineup. Devers is very, very yeah. good. Verdugo had a really nice year last year. Again, he's always going to be measured up against being the main piece of that Mookie Betts trade, but that's not his fault. He's a good player. Uh, and then like Hunter Renfro, Frenchy Cordero, they're good. Like you know, kind of, I'm not going to say high upside, but they're guys who can get hot and smoke the ball. Christian Vasquez is pretty good. And then my player to watch on this team, I'm not saying he's good, but Bobby Dahlbeck is my player to watch. And this Great guy, player to watch. Great player to watch. It, he is. So last year he had 92 play appearances. He struck out 42.4% of the time. I mean, that is, that's absurd. You, you can't exist as a major league player doing that. But let's say he gets it down to 33 or something, 30, 33. Which would be had, like, which would be on the high end for his minor league career, let's mention. Yeah. He also had eight home runs and 92 plague appearances. I mean, that's that's absurd power. Uh, he, he, he had a one. His ISO was 338. Yeah. Like, he had a 152 WRC plus last year. I, I think that was a bit lucky. His expected WOBA was was more was much lower. Again, it was a small sample size, and again, you know, he was he was barreling the ball 22 percent of the time. Like that's that's unsustainable. Like, but again, this is a guy who strikes out a ton, but walks at a decent clip when he makes contact, hits the ball in the air, 15 degree launch angle. Maybe Bobby Dahlbeck could hit 40 home runs this year, and maybe he hits 
215 or 220, but right, you know, but he definitely could hit 40 home runs. Um, my player to watch, Sam, and I'm shocked you didn't even mention him is JD Martinez. Like, we forget that JD Martinez is on this team. That's a good point. How could I not mention him? And that JD Martinez had a 167 and 170 WRC plus back to back in 2017 and 2018. Like JD Martinez from 2014 to 2019 never had a WRC plus below 136. He's very, very good. And last year he was very, very bad. He had a 77 WRC plus in 54 games. But Sam, if there's one player that I am comfortable with having the 2020 that he had, it's JD Martinez. And I'll tell you why right here. I'll first say that I don't expect him to have a 170 WRC plus this year. How can you expect that from anybody? (laughs) But I'd be shocked if he were lower than well, than a buck 25 this season if, if he is a 70 wrc plus at dh i i don't think that can last very long one 170 oh 170 i don't expect him to have 170 but i'd be shocked if he dips below 125 and here's why jd martinez's career turned around in 2014 on the back of this uh new approach to hitting and a big part of it for jd martinez which he has said for years was the way that he approached video. And he would watch video of ABs and make in-game adjustments. As a DH, he'd go down in the tunnel and he would hit and he would make adjustments based on his last at-bat, based on the video. Last year, players had no access to in-game video. I think that took a bigger toll on J.D. Martinez than anybody else because he had built up this idea of himself as a guy who analyzed video, acted on it, and used it to succeed. Whether or not he really needed it, I don't know. At some point, you might start to get the feel for these things that you see in video and be able to make those adjustments naturally. And I think that's really a fair um, question to raise, but I don't think it's important. I think what's important is what he thought. Hitting, especially, is so mental, especially if you're the type of guy who needs to go down in the tunnel and watch your video every time. You're thinking about things, you're analyzing them, and you're trying to act on them. If you're thinking that much, and you start to get in some type of thought process where you don't think you can hit or play anymore because you don't have access to your favorite tool, I easily see this regression. That, that's with a, 2021 as a more normal season, I feel very comfortable with him. That's that's a really interesting point, Aaron. So, you know, could could be that J.D. Martinez is a big uh, sleeper in, in, fan, in your fantasy baseball draft. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, the thing is, is he, he is still going around 62. So he's going right around oh, Torres, Javi Baez, Steven Strasburg, Michael Conforto. I think that value is about correct for him. Um, so on average ADP, his value is still, uh, you know, pretty appropriate. But if he starts to slip, you know, if you're seeing a guy like <laughs> Teoscar Hernandez, for example, whose ADP is about 87, go and JD Martinez is still there. You better jump on him because that's an incredible value. Um, any other comments about the socks? They're honestly the, the biggest uh, variance team, I think in this division, you know, yeah, I think uh, they're the most interesting team in, in the division in that, like I could see a lot of directions for their season. Uh, I mean, Fangraphs has them as more likely to make the playoffs than the Rays, 33 to 23%. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, the 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 fan graphs. A lot of the projection systems are are very low on the Rays, and again, I think 
maybe they, they can't quite capture the way the Rays operate organizationally because, you know, projection systems just look at like each player's individual value and adds them up and the Rays operate in this sort of like the sum is greater than the parts type way right. that maybe projection systems can't fully capture. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. But with that, let's get to uh, a team that projections hate, uh, cla- I tra- hate. Tra- traditionalists uh, don't think are good. Uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone thinks the Orioles have any chance to make the playoffs. I think they might have an exactly 0% chance according to, to Fangraphs. It is 0.0 on Fangraphs. Yeah, so. I mean, that's only what in 10,000 Sims or something. So the, the error bar is in, in 0.001. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so the Orioles, I mean, their lineup is brutal. Their pitching staff is brutal. I mean, get, I mean, get, they just really have nothing <laughs> going for them. Outside of John Means and maybe a call-up of Adley Rutschman at some point. Yeah, so so Adley Rutschman's maybe one of the top five prospects in the game. Might, you know, absolutely rake at the catcher position for years. So if Adley gets called up, that's going to be an exciting time for Orioles fans in what's otherwise a lost season. I didn't realize the Orioles had uh, had Matt Harvey now. They do. They do have the Dark Knight who is now the Dark Knight of Baltimore. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's funny to point out that Fangraphs has Adley Rutschman playing one third the number of games as Chance Cisco, the uh, Orioles' primary catcher, and accruing the same amount of WAR in in one third of the time. So obviously, it'd be a big boon to them if he could come up. John Means obviously has shown us signs that he is a good pitcher, but like, what their I mean, number ha- two, their number he- two on Fangraphs is Dean Kremer. Who is that, Sam? That's a name I've literally never heard <laughs> yeah, until just I, now. I don't know. And also like, yeah. And Keegan Aiken is their number three. Who is Keegan Aiken? <laughs> I mean, also J- John Means is like, I mean, you wouldn't say he's shown himself to be a good pitcher if he was on any of these other teams. You- you'd say. Well, I mean, in 2019, he had a three, six ERA and accrued three war. Like that's. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But, but I mean, on any other team, we'd be talking about him as a question mark in the force. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. But again, that speaks to just the different standards that we have to bring to this discussion. I mean, truly, like, there is nobody to be excited about here except Adley Rutschman and maybe John Means if you're, like, a diehard. Um, Felix I mean, Hernandez is pitching for them. Like, So the 20, the 2013 Orioles pitching staff would be pretty good with, with Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez. Yeah, yes, Felix but- and the Dark Knight. That could be, that would have been a very dangerous. And <laughs> yeah. they had Chris Davis when he was still good. So um, it doesn't look like Chris Davis, by the way, will be playing this year. Uh, maybe, uh, uh, you know. Do, do you have another player to watch? ABs. Do you have another? Oh, I have, I have a real player to watch. But why don't you tell me what you think? If we had to pick, Sam, what's a strength that this team has? I don't, I, there, I'm sorry, Orioles fans. There's not one. Well, I'm gonna t- I, I'm gonna tell something for our for our Orioles fans out there because I, I have love for the for the DMV area. Honestly, your lineup like is pretty young and like could go balls to the wall and hit like a bunch of homers next season. So you could watch slugfests and that could be fun for you. Um, 
you know, Anthony Santander, Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle, Rio Ruiz, DJ Stewart, Pedro Severino, Yolmer Sanchez. Those are all guys who can definitely hit the ball out of the yard. And then we have my player to watch, Sam. And that's Trey Mancini. And Trey Mancini is actually, if he's healthy, for sure the best player on this team. I mean, Trey Mancini had a 134 WRC plus in 2019 over 154 games, 116 in 2017 over 147 games. He's not amazing, right? Like he may produce a roughly equivalently to Alex Verdugo if, if they both play well next season. But for the Orioles, he is actually a good player who other teams wish they had on their team. Now he's coming back from a, a cancer actually, and it looks like he's healthy. I really hope it'd be such a great story if he comes back and rakes this year, Sam. Yeah, definitely. Like rooting hard for Trey Mancini to be good and productive this year for, for this Orioles team. My player watches is Ryan Mountcastle who in a cup of corn last year as a rookie, 140 plate appearances had a A cup of corn. Is is that a mix of cup of coffee and can of corn? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I might start saying it. Uh, 141 WRC plus hit 333, 386 on base percentage, uh, Struck out not too often, walked at a, at a decent clip. The, I don't the, think five and a half percent is a decent clip. He walked at eight percent last year. He's projected. Oh, his for projection five is five five. Yeah. Sorry, eight, eight is a decent clip. Um, the his expected stats were were a lot worse last year, so I'm not I'm not telling you to like sign up for for the Ryan Mountcastle <laughs> Rookie of the Year campaign this year. Um, <laughs> But you is know, he technically a rookie? How are they doing that? He played over half the games of the season last year. That's a good, yeah. I'm actually not sure how it works. I know he, uh, I was watching uh, a Phil's Pulls uh, Tops 2021 release, and his card was a rookie card. So, okay. So perhaps he is. So, so perhaps he is. Um, but yeah, with, with that, uh, yeah, that's that's my player to watch on the Orioles. Again, I'm not not saying Ryan Mountcastle is going to be a world beater, but he's like an interesting young hitter. Um, yeah. So yeah, sorry, sorry Orioles fans, but I I didn't think I don't think you were expecting us to say, hey, they're going to win the AL East. Um, so, and if you were, <laughs> we appreciate the type of fan you are because yeah. Sam is that type of fan of the Mets. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll get to the NL East. I don't think uh, I don't think there's any question of who I'm going to say is going to win it. All right, with that, we're actually going to do something new for you guys this week. We're going to keep you in suspense about what division we're picking until next week. We're going to come on the show. We're going to air it live. We're going to tell you who we're picking. Um, and if you guys have any questions, fantasy, season related, otherwise, you know where to find us. I've said it Aaron, once. I'll say it twice. Aaron, you're you're jumping the gun because we got over unders. And we got to go. I mean, this is, he's never going to not forget. And actually, last week we went off of the the Fangraphs projection over unders because DraftKings hadn't posted uh, the lines yet, but they've since posted the lines. So I'm going off of DraftKings uh, over under win lines. Uh, Yankees 95 and a half. Over. I'm also going over. Blue Jays 86 and a half. Jesus, uh, how can I have I over? I guess 
and, and the Rays are going to be over too somehow. I'm, I'm also going over on the Blue Jays, 85, 86 and a half. The Rays are 85 and a half. Over. I'm going. They're going to win like 89 games. I'm going under on the Rays. I, I see them as more uh, 83, 84 win team. Red Sox, 80 and a half. <laughs> They're over under is 84 and a half. You're projecting a- half 80, a win. 85 and a half. It was 85 and a half. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. The Red Sox are 80 and a half. under i just i'm i unfortunately don't believe in their pitching staff yeah i that seems like kind of right for me but i think they're gonna win like 78 games yeah so i'm going i'm going under and then the orioles 64 and a half under there's no Uh, way they win under i i i think they're gonna win fewer than 60 games i think 61 61 would be my guess they might win 55 games they're really bad I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet that though, just because like you're talking about like it, it's hard to lose against a games. bad team. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But now, uh, so that's over under. Quick, dirty. Uh, so now, quick, dirty, know, and informative. Yeah, now you yeah. guys. Now you guys know where to place those bets. Uh, you know, we should really. I don't even remember what we said for the over unders last week. We should. So like. I remember we both went over on the Dodgers. The Dodgers line is actually, uh, let me look it up quickly. I think it's over a hundred wins. I think it might be the, the highest over under line like ever set or something. The, the Dodgers- I might slam an under in that, in that division with the Padres, if they get up to like one one and a half. The, the Dodgers, let me give it to you guys really quick guys. Um, the Dodgers regular season win total uh, is 102 and a half is the over under. <laughs> what? Yeah. So uh, like one injury and that looks like a really bad over under basically. Really? I mean, uh, maybe if Betts got injured. Or Bueller or Kershaw or Trevor Bauer. Like, yeah. They they need what they got to. Uh, they could easily win 105 games, but they need what they got. Like 100 wins is never a foregone conclusion in the season. That that's certainly true. Uh, so so yeah, the the lines we gave you last week were were a bit different than the actual betting lines. Um, but yeah, with that that concludes our preview of the AL East. I hope you guys enjoyed it, learned some stuff about these teams. Uh, I hope you guys also enjoyed Aaron's fantasy advice. We're going to make it a weekly segment leading into the season. So if you guys have any questions you want answered out of him, let us know on Twitter at the Alonzo bet Gmail, the Alonzo bet at gmail.com. Uh, if you're in, if you're in my league, don't even try, but if you're <laughs> not, go ahead. Yeah. Um, but if you're in his league, like you might get a glimpse into what he's trying to do that, that gives you guys an edge. But you know it's he's true. he dominates so much that he he needs to throw a bone. Well, more so, I do it for the people, right? I'm up so much money already that I feel like it's only right I give back to the people, even if it costs me a bit in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, you could give up you give up a little EV to get them to keep playing. There you go. There yeah. you go. Something you know from your poker games quite well, Sam. Um, <laughs> With that, folks, thank you very much for stopping by here on this beautiful Wednesday evening. It's been our pleasure bringing you the American League East, and we look forward to our mystery division next week. 
For the Alonzo Bet, as always, we have been your hosts, Zy Marin. And I'm Sam. Yeah. Sam.